We are continuing our uh, attention series with Josh Burnett. This is our second week, and we are going to focus our attention on the things that are stealing our attention away so that we can look at our good God and uh, be healed and loved by him. So, Josh, would you come up? Wow. Jake, you're in trouble. Don't... <laughs> Uh, you know how to throw me off, Jake. You're fine. I love you. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, to the fathers in the room, happy Father's Day. Uh, really uh, good to be together uh, this morning. Um, about the last six months of 1999 was like a really, really terrifying time in our world uh, maybe you maybe you remember this uh, if you're like you know my age or maybe even just a little bit younger than me, um, but there's probably people in the room this morning that don't remember this because uh, I, don't, I just remembered about it uh, this past week as I was thinking about like moments in my lifetime when there's been like an, an unusual amount of anxiety. And, uh, you know, since I didn't want to talk about COVID at all, I figured I would talk about something from when I was 16 years old. Uh, so the last, last half of, of 1999, the Global Fear Index, like, spiked like crazy. And it was because of this thing called Y2K, um, which, you know, if you lived through it, you probably remember it. You're probably like, I haven't thought about that in, like, two decades uh, or more, actually, I guess, more than two decades. Uh, but... Uh, Y2K was this hilarious moment where everybody kind of freaked out. I mean, people were, were stockpiling stuff because we thought that every computer was going to break as soon as it turned the year 2000. And so everybody's freaking out, putting canned goods in their basement, buying land in Montana, you know, building silos to like live in because the, the apocalypse is coming. I remember as a 16-year-old thinking to myself, perhaps this is the end of the world and I'm going to get to like live through there. Maybe I won't live through it. I don't know. But at least I'm going to get to be a part of something that's going to be really, really exciting. I remember like New Year's Eve 1999 being this moment where I was like, I wasn't allowed to go like out. I had to stay in I had, was, because we didn't know if our cars were going to work to get home and stuff. So it was like this really crazy moment where everybody's like, oh my gosh, like, what's going to happen? Are we all going to die? You know, are planes going to fall out of the sky? Are the banks going to just, like, not know whose money is whose anymore? And so it's just this crazy free-for-all. And, uh, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. And then, you know, we all woke up the next morning or whatever. We lived through the, the, the ball dropped. It dropped just fine. There was no surprise in it, you know, at all. Like, the lights didn't go out in New York City or anything like that. TV stayed on. It was fine, right? We were all like, well, that was, that was for nothing. I don't know if you know this or not, but we spent about $500 billion making sure that that was for nothing, right? And so it's this moment where we experience this, like, incredible collective fear and anxiety as not just a society, but, like, like the whole planet did because we didn't know if we were going to survive and if we were going to make it through. So we're in this series where we're talking about attention right now, and last week what we, what we talked about was what attention actually is and how, what we, how we think about how we think is really, really important. And that if we, if we don't think about how we think, we can end up in places that we didn't intend to go, particularly with the way in which our attention is being radically manipulated today through technology. 
And so uh, last week we said attention is how we spend our time. It is literally not just like, you know, what's on our Google calendar or whatever, but actually how we spend our time even in the internal life of like what we are actually thinking about. And we said that inattention to our attention will lead to distraction from the life that God created and designed us to live. And so if you don't manage your attention, someone else will. And I have bad news for you. If you weren't here last week, they already are. They already are managing your attention in ways that are hard for us to even fathom and, and to break down. Um, it, it really is, it is, it is actually kind of a scary thing to recognize that our attention is being manipulated in some incredible ways that is leading us to outcomes in our own life that I guarantee we didn't intend and leading us to a life that, that perhaps is not the way uh, we would like for it to be or the way that God would like for it to be. So we're at risk of being manipulated <clears throat> just based on, on the way in which we give our attention to things. But one of the things that we give our attention to unconsciously, one of the things that can co-opt our life is worry, is fear, anxiety, and if we give our attention to the wrong things because of fear and anxiety, it, will, it too will keep us from the life that we were created and designed to live. So let me just ask you as we get started this morning, I'm going to give you like about 45 seconds to stop and think and just be still and reflect on what it is that you are worrying about. What is it that you brought into this room today? What are the fears and anxieties? If you want to close your eyes and just contemplate, what are the fears and anxieties, the worries that you brought into this room this morning? Maybe it's about work, finances, a relationship. Maybe it's about something that you deeply desire and don't have and don't know how to get. But what are the fears and anxieties that you bring into this room? Let me... I'll just go ahead and, and give us a, a minute of silence here to just stop and think about those things. A minute's a long time, isn't it, when it's quiet? Especially when you're in a room with other people. Sorry. Um, if I just totally disturbed you from your anxiousness, I actually, you're welcome. Um, you know, um, what I was trying to do is just kind of prime you for a fight or flight uh, response to what I'm about to, No, I'm just kidding. I'm not at all. Uh, now that you've got all those worries and anxieties in, you know, in your mind, in the forefront of your mind, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into Scripture, and we're going to hear what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 6 about worry. And my, my hope and my prayer is that all of us walk out of here having um, at, least, at least an idea of what Jesus would say to us about those things that are causing us fear, anxiety, and worry 
this morning and that maybe throughout this week we'll be able to uh, take some action that will help us to really know what to do and with that worry and fear and, and be able to, to manage it in a way that God would have us uh, to manage it. Because we don't want fear uh, to be leading our life. And Jesus doesn't want fear to be leading our life, worry to be leading our life either. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Uh, this is a uh, passage that, that happens right in the middle or is found right in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous uh, like sermon um, that, that we have. And it's, it's widely considered to be uh, some of the most significant teachings of Jesus. Jesus is talking to uh, this large group of people and he is telling them effectively what it means to follow God. He's giving them uh, instruction on, hey, here's, here's what it looks like to, to love God and to love your neighbor. He's taking things that they've been taught and saying, hey, this is the thing that you've been taught that's, that's not correct. Like, like he says something like, uh, uh, you've heard it said you are to love your enemy and hate or sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. <laughs> love your enemy and hate your neighbor. Um, no, <laughs> love, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He's basically taking the common wisdom of the day and flipping it on its head and saying, hey, listen, like the life that God wants for us goes beyond what we have been taught, uh, what you have been taught. And in the middle of this, he's going to start talking about worry and, and as he addresses worry, uh, what we're going to see here is that he's going to, to address kind of two primary ways in which we as, as humans worry, right? So verse 25, it starts out like this. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add even a, a single hour to your life? So Jesus starts out in a way that I will just tell you, uh, you know, every time I've read this, this passage, I've been like, this is really annoying, Jesus. I don't like the way that you kind of start out. Because he starts out by saying, uh, you know, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Like, just stop it, okay? Like, that's, you know, <laughs> it feels to me like this, like, oh, thanks, Jesus, because, uh, you know, that's, that, that really works, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever, like, I'm super afraid of spiders, um, if you know me, you know this. I'm terrified of spiders. Even talking about them makes me, like, worry about whether or not there might be one behind me. I'm very afraid of spiders. So if you're like, hey, Josh, don't worry about spiders, I would, I would be like, yeah, thanks. I had, like, had a whole hour of not thinking about spiders, and now I'm thinking about them again, and you are, you're causing me angst, right? Like, I'm not going to do a good job of that, right? Don't worry about your life at all. Like, just forget about it. It's cool, guys. And that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's going to go on and actually give us a mechanism to uh, stop worrying about the things that we are worried about. He's going to tell us what to actually do. And the first part of this is by introducing this idea that we have a heavenly father. That we have a heavenly father who loves us. The first worry that Jesus is really uh, addressing here is... Um, Will I have enough? Will I have enough, right? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about 
uh, how you're going to take care of yourself. Because you have a, a heavenly father. And your heavenly father loves you. And in the same way that he takes care of the animals, he's going to take care of you. And you're way, way, way more valuable than they are. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, here, here's, here's the antidote, the first part of the antidote to fear and worry and anxiety. It's recognizing that you have a heavenly father. Now, on Father's Day, I know that we can, we can come at that from a whole bunch of different perspectives, right? Like, like there are people in this room who would say, you know what, I have an amazing father who I, like just was an incredible example. And then there are other people in this room who would say, you know what, I, I had a father who was not a great example and who I didn't get along with and don't get along with or, you know, any, any version of that. And then there were people that would probably say, I never even knew my father. And so it's easy for us to read onto Heavenly Father the experience of our earthly fathers. And for those of us who are blessed enough to have earthly fathers who were like, man, this, this person's a great example and has lived an incredible life. Like, that's, that's awesome. But I want to recognize that, that we all come into this room with different different experiences of the Father, but the Father that we're talking about here is the Heavenly Father, the one who is perfect and perfectly loving, who knit us together in our mother's wombs, who knows us better than we know ourselves, a Father who deeply, deeply cares about us more than we could ever possibly imagine we could be cared for. And so what we see here is Jesus is saying, hey, listen, when you're afraid that you might not have enough, I want you to first remember that you have a heavenly father who loves you. You have a heavenly father who loves you. Worry affects our attention by doing several things. It divides our attention. It creates a stress response in us. It disrupts our sleep. It creates a negative bias in our thoughts. It reduces our, uh, our working memory and the capacity of our working memory. And so worry is a really, really dangerous thing for us. It, it can radically and dramatically impact our lives in a negative way. But one of the first things that we can do to combat it is to stop and remember that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. And especially when we are, we are saying we're in a, a space of worrying about, will I have enough? Which I think is something that, that is more common than we would imagine, right? Like, I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but the roller coaster ride of the economy in the last several years has been like a thing that I feel like has gotten all of us to a place where we're like, are we all going to, is all money just going to disappear overnight? Or if you're like really invested in crypto or something like that, maybe all your money did disappear in the last little while. But, you know, we're like, we're on this roller coaster ride of like, am I going to have enough? And the reality of that is it, it, it can dramatically impact the outcomes of our lives. And so Jesus wants us to know we have a heavenly father and that he loves us and that he's watching out for us. Um, I, when I was in sixth grade, um, I'm telling a lot of stories from when I was a kid but, uh, today, but when I, when I was in sixth grade, 
I had one of the most terrifying experiences uh, of my childhood. Um, I don't know if you have ever had like the, the nightmare where you wake up at school and a like big project is due and you didn't do it. You know, anybody ever had that one? Like, you know, I, I don't, I, I did, but I lived it because um, I actually did that. Like, I, I didn't wake up at school. That would be real weird. But <laughs> I went to school one day, and uh, I went to science class, and my science teacher was like, don't forget, tomorrow is science fair. And I was like, that's not good. And somehow, I'm not blaming her. I'm sure it was not her fault because my attention was very divided before social media existed. Um, it's only gotten worse, I guess. But uh, I, I had totally neglected to do my science fair experiment at all. Didn't do any of it. Hadn't started it. Didn't know what I was going to do. Was completely like, just like, oh my gosh. So I go home from school that day, and I'm like freaking out. Like, I don't know like what I'm going to do. It's like 40% of my grade, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to fail sixth grade science and have to do sixth grade again. I don't want to do that. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I get home, and uh, I don't tell my mom because uh, I'm afraid she'll kill me. And then, uh, and then my dad gets home from work around 6 o'clock, and I'm like, finally, like I can't contain it anymore. And it just comes out of me. And I'm like, I, I have a science fair project due tomorrow, and I haven't done anything. Like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. My parents were actually very, very gracious to me. I was very grateful for that. They were like, hey, this isn't going to happen again, right? And I distinctly remember my dad being like, this isn't going to happen again, right? And I was like, no, it's, it'll never happen again, you know? And uh, my dad was like, get in the car. And we got in the car, and we went back to his office, and we put together an entire science fair project. And one night, he was up till like, three in the morning helping me get this science fair project done and everything. And I got it, you know, we, we, I say I, there's no I, like mostly him, like let's be honest, like mostly him, did it, got it. Um, and, and then, um, you know, I took it into science fair the next day. And, um, and I'm just going to tell you, this is not the moral of the story, but I'll tell you the truth. I won. I got first place. Um, <clears throat> um, which is not what you should take away from this or learn from this, other than like grace is real and you know, my dad's a great example of a heavenly father who loves us and gives us good gifts, right? But what I'm really driving at here is this. The reason that I was able to not only get my science fair project done in one night and also, also win is because my dad is a chemical engineer. He has a master's in, in chemical engineering. And so, you know what I found out that night is that a sixth grade science fair project is really not that difficult for a person with a master's in chemical engineering, right? It's pretty easy. Turns out you can win first place if you have a master's in chemical engineering and you're competing against sixth graders. <laughs> My point in that is not about the first place thing any more than it points to grace. My point in that is this, that we have a heavenly father who loves us and who is the foundation of chemistry and all science and the very existence of the world. And if he takes care of the animals, how much more does he love us and want to take care of us? And the example of my dad's love for me in that is, is a great, loving, beautiful example 
not for everybody who got second through last place, but <clears throat> to me it was a great, loving, beautiful example, right? And yet it is only a fraction of the love that my heavenly Father has for me and has for you. That God loves us. So fear number one, worry number one, will I have enough? And we'll come back around to the functional, like how does that get resolved if we're truly, truly in need? But before we do that, I want to take a look at what Jesus has to say in verse 28 through 30. Jesus says, and, and why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field, uh, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And what Jesus is addressing here is uh, the fear that, that we have, uh, you know, there's kind of these two primary fears, right? Will I have enough? And the second one is, am I enough? What Jesus is getting at here is, is our propensity to question and wonder, am I enough? Why, why do we, you know, th this, this passage could have been written to today, like, it's perfect for us today, Right? Why are we concerned about what we wear? Why are we concerned about how we look, how we appear, how we're presented to one another? It's because we want to know, am I enough? Do I fit in, right? Like if you look at social media and what it has done to our psyche and especially the psyche of our children, it is entirely about whether or not we fit in, right? That's why we have things called filters. And I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but like there's literally surgeries you can have now that will make your actual appearance look like the filter that you can have on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or Snapchat or, you know, all the, all the different ones out there, right? Like, there are these filters that we put on ourselves to look a certain way because we want to fit in. We want the approval. We want the likes. We want, we want to know that we belong. And Jesus is saying... It's so easy for you to worry about what you're wearing and whether or not you belong and whether or not you fit in, but you have a heavenly father who loves you. And you're enough. Just as you are, you are enough. You're beautiful to him, just as you are. And so as we think about this fear, this worry of am I enough, do I belong, do I fit in, one of the first things that we really have to do is guard our inputs, right? Like why is it that we wonder that question? It's because we're constantly comparing ourselves. We're constantly looking to one another to see do I fit in, am I, am I enough, do I belong? And we compare ourselves to one another and that's radically enhanced by technology these days. And in order to combat that fear, we have to begin guarding our inputs. There's been a meteoric rise in anxiety, fear, worrying, depression, and even suicide since 2011. 
And researchers today are saying that that, that meteoric rise is not, not just correlated to the use of social media and smartphones, it is directly causal, that cell phones and social media are causing the fear of not belonging because they create this feedback loop, an opportunity for, for people to interact with one another in ways where comparison is the norm and where trolling one another is a thing now. Like, I mean, literally, like, like bullying has a whole series of different names now because of social media. And this innate desire to know whether or not we belong causes us to compare ourselves to one another. And as we do that, if we're not guarding our inputs, what happens is we, we end up in these cycles where our attention is drawn to a thing and it's drawn to comparison over and over and over again, which causes us to behave differently than we would otherwise to change things like our appearance via filters, to do things like constantly stare at our phone and take selfies. I'm not saying that's you. If you look at my social media, you'll see it's not me. However, my kids were looking at my social media after, uh, after uh, the sermon last week and the fact that I'm making them watch a whole bunch of stuff and listen to a whole bunch of books about social media and stuff right now. And they were like looking back through stuff on Facebook and they were like, Dad, you used to take a lot of selfies. I was like, I did. I did used to take a lot of selfies. You're right. Why? Because I wanted to know that I belonged. I wanted the approval. I wanted the feedback loop. There's a couple resources that I would highly recommend you take a look at. Uh, one is called The Social Dilemma. It's a, a Netflix documentary, um, and it's phenomenal. Like, I, my, my kids are watching it right now. I'm making them watch it, to be clear. But um, uh, we're, we're watching it together, and we're, we're having conversations along the way. Uh, but The Social Dilemma is uh, a, a bunch of the different people who actually created social media and uh, who have come out and said, like, this is harmful. And it's, it's affecting us as a, as a species in ways that we don't understand. And, uh, and it's a really good resource. Another one is called Stolen Focus. It's a book uh, called Stolen Focus by Johan Ari. And, um, and it's, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal look uh, at how social media is, uh, and technology at large has radically changed our ability to focus and be attentive. And so we've got to guard our, uh, we've got to guard our inputs. And then next, we have to, we have to actually be connected to one another. We have to actually be connected to one another. Jesus isn't just talking to an individual in this sermon. He's talking to a whole crowd of people. He's talking to a whole crowd of people about more than just worrying. He's actually talking to a whole crowd of people about the way in which they interact and engage with one another. He's actually addressing the societal norms and rules that they had been abiding by and had been taught. And he's... He's speaking into those things. And so this section of scripture is found in the midst of that where he's saying, hey, listen, here's, here's how to reduce the amount of time and attention you're giving to worrying. Worrying is a normal thing. It's, it's, a, it's a normal human response for us. But if you look throughout scripture, one of the most frequently repeated commands 
is to not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It happens over and over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture, and that's because we're going to be afraid, and God wants us to know how to stop being afraid, how to stop worrying. And the reality is, I think in, in our culture today, it is really, really easy for us to make the fundamental mistake of thinking that our ability to connect means we are, in fact, connected. Let me say that again. It's really easy for us to make the mistake of thinking that our ability to connect means that we are, in fact, connected. Our ability to connect has nothing to do with whether or not we are actually connected. And in fact, a lot of the ways in which we are connected via technology are designed specifically to manipulate our behavior in ways that actually push us further apart from one another. Our ability to connect is not an indicator of how connected we are. How real, how vulnerable, how frequently we show up in one another's lives is. And I think if there is a, if there is a argument to be made for why the church is needed, like even if you're coming at this from a perspective of like, I don't know what I believe about God or Jesus or anything. If you're just showing up this morning, you're like, hey, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. Let me tell you why the church matters and is needed in our society today. Because it is one of the very, very few places, and I would argue maybe the only place where the foundational relationship that we have with one another is based on the grace and love of a heavenly father who has done everything he can to demonstrate his love for us so that we can know that we belong to him and we belong to one another. That's what it means to be the church. To know that we belong to God and we belong to one another and that that family is intended to always be expanding. That there is always room at the table for the next person who doesn't yet know that they belong here. And I'll just tell you, in my own life, in my own life, were it not for the way in which our family in the church has shown up for us, I don't know that we would have had food to eat, clothes to wear, and a place to sleep. And that may sound weird, but last week I, I talked about how we started this tech company four years ago, and, or four and a half, yeah, four and a half years ago. I stepped out of leading uh, the church that we started in Annapolis, and, and we, we launched this company called Flourish, and I'll spare you the repeat of what we do or whatever, but the bottom line is, like, we stepped out of a, a, a thing that we had been doing for 15 years into a thing that I knew enough about to feel like, yeah, I can take this crazy risk, but not, not enough about to actually, like, do it well, you know? So for the first two and a half years, it was just pain after pain after pain after pain. Like, we went out and we raised money. We raised $250,000 in the first couple months of, of doing this, and we spent all of that money at a development shop to have our platform built, and the thing that we arrived with at the end of a six-month period of spending $250,000 was a logo. It was great. It was the best day ever. It was like, oh, this logo, I really love it, but I don't think I would have spent a quarter million dollars on this logo. Of other people's money, by the way, which I'm now responsible to hopefully get a return on, and we have nothing. We just have a logo. And then the pandemic hit, 
And our, like, the, the level of anxiety in our home about our financial future was insanely high and has been for the last several years. It's, the platform's kind of just now coming together and starting to kind of take off, but it's been incredibly high. And I'll tell you the thing that has kept me and my kids living indoors is our family in the church has like literally taken care of us. And one of the beautiful ways that God, our Heavenly Father, takes care of us is by using our fellow brothers and sisters to do that. That's the beauty of what we have. It's why we do the breakfast ministry. It's why we practice generosity because we are participating in heaven coming to earth. And I've been the direct benefactor of that and seen how God uses his people to take care of one another. Jesus goes on, he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Instead of worrying, Jesus says, bring heaven to earth. One of the best ways to, to stop worrying is to think about other people, to think about how in the world can I actually bring heaven to earth in the life of other people around me. Last week we talked about how corporations are literally spending $815 a day to capture and keep your attention. And in light of that, how much more valuable monetarily and just period in like the grand scheme of things do we think our attention is to God? And how much of an impact if we turned even just a fraction of that $815 of attention toward others would we have? Because as we bring heaven to earth by loving one another, not only are our own fears about not having enough or not being enough assuaged, but, but people are actually taken care of. And people find a place to belong and a mission to belong to knowing that together our Heavenly Father loves us. And so as we head into a time of communion, the thing that I want to draw our attention to this morning is simply this. It's the love of God demonstrated for us by sending His one and only Son to pay the price for us so that we could know we belong, so that we could be connected to Him and to one another so that fear and anxiety could be destroyed and so that heaven would come to earth. Not only as it did through Jesus, but also through each and every one of us. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll receive communion. Um, there's four stations in the room, two in the front, two in the back. They're all gluten-free. When you're ready, you can feel free to come and receive communion. God. Thank you for loving us.
thank you that you have made it possible for us to be reconnected to you, reunited with you. By the sacrifice of Jesus, thank you that you are a good heavenly father who loves us. God, help us to know that and for that to bring about peace and comfort in our lives and the place of worry that would be there otherwise. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.